The board game, sorry, was introduced in 1933, 50 years after the Parker Brothers Company was launched by George S. Parker when he was only 16 years old. In gameplay, pieces move around the board. The prescribed number of, of, of spaces defined by a card that is drawn. When you land on a space already occupied, you send that opponent's piece straight back to the beginning. The goal is to move all of your pieces from start around the board all the way to home. And the deck features a sorry card that lets you knock any opponent's piece straight back to the start. And while you might say sorry, to your fellow player, you'd likely say it with a touch of glee, at least not a sincere apology. Sadly, that's the way many of us apologize and say sorry, if we say it at all. You know, in my own life and in my practice of psychiatry, in supervising our 35 lay counselors and our numerous recovery leaders here at the church, I see the value of genuine apology of sincere repentance and forgiveness. But I also see the devastation that follows when repentance, apology, and forgiveness are lacking. I remember when our, four, when our three boys were small, one of them would hurt the other, and I would coach the offending child. Tell your brother, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Inevitably, there would be a pause and often a protest. Those are hard words. And my boys were right. They are hard words. Thankfully, they get easier with practice. And we can start by saying them to God. Every day, in a time of reflection, we can ask Him to search our hearts and show us where we messed up. By listening to the Holy Spirit within, we can grow in seeing our missteps and confessing and repenting of them. It's always best to start with God because he shows through the cross that his forgiveness is freely available to all of us. He's paid the price, and all we need to do is ask. With a neighbor, a spouse, a friend, a sister or brother, forgiveness is a bit more risky, and it feels a lot riskier. So, of course, we often fail to get the words out of our mouths. We fail to say, Sorry. Would you please stand in honor of God's word and please open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 9 through 15. If you would, please read out loud with me what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Many of you know it by heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Please remain standing for a minute. In the verses immediately following, Jesus says something rather wonderful and a bit scary. If, he says, you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But, and this is a big but, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive 
your sins. Wow. In another passage, Luke 17, 3 through 4, Jesus says something else pretty astounding. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Let's pray. God, teach us today your heart for forgiveness. Show us what is at stake and give us the desire and the power to do for others what you've done for us in Jesus' name. You may be seated. From the two passages we read, it's plain that forgiveness for a believer is not optional. The implication from the Lord's Prayer is that God takes our lead when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus says it plainly. If you forgive, then I will forgive you. Harboring unforgiveness may mean that we judge another person as unworthy of forgiveness. And when, even when Jesus tells us, judge not, or you will be judged. Imagine standing before God on judgment day. Suppose he asks you to call to mind the person who's injured you most, or the one that you've had the hardest time forgiving. What if then God says, Here's the deal. I'm going to forgive you in exactly the same way you forgave that person. Good news or bad? Yay or oh shoot? Remember, Jesus says what you give is what you get. It's interesting to note that Jesus says if we should, that we should turn the other cheek if an evil person strikes us. But with a brother or sister, he says rebuke them and if they repent, forgive them. Now, we can choose to forgive anyway, but we can't really offer forgiveness if there's no acknowledgement of wrongdoing. If I hurt you and believe I've done nothing wrong, you come saying, I forgive you, I would likely say, for what? To promote repentance and restoration. Jesus says to rebuke a brother or sister. Sometimes we have to be hard with someone before we can be soft with them. The command to rebuke goes way back to Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. Scripture says this. Hmm. Here we go. Sorry. Ah, there it is. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If we've been harmed by someone we're in a relationship with, we must let them know. We need to call out sin. We need to let people know that what they've done has hurt us or we share in it. This is an important principle because many of us remain burdened by the past because we've not been willing to bring the sin into the light by confronting it with the the person responsible. Now, of course, there's no guarantee the other person will take responsibility, but that's between them and God. We've laid the problem at their feet, and we can walk away unburdened. When we go to another, though, or someone comes to us with an offense, what does genuine repentance look like? What constitutes an effective apology? 
Well, if confession and forgiveness are practiced daily, we can easily overlook small offenses and be quick to fess up when we cause harm. When my wife says, ouch, a simple, I'm sorry, please forgive me, will suffice. But what if the offense has caused real damage and disrupted the harmony in the relationship? What then? Then we need a humble apology. Now, I include five elements of effective apologies, and it might help you remember them with an acrostic. We'll use snore. I know, I know, if you snooze, you lose. But when it comes to apology, if you snore, you score. Besides, a clean conscience does help us sleep well at night. And let's, so let's learn how to keep our side of the bed clean and clear with five steps to an authentic apology. S-N-O-R-E. You may want to write these down, or you can refer to them in the sermon notes at wc.org. After each one of the five, I'll share a few sentences to illustrate how it might sound in an actual apology. First step, S. Say sorry. Express regret. Show on your face with your words that you care about the pain. Emotion moves us, and if the person we've hurt lets us see their pain, and we acknowledge and feel it with them, it prompts godly sorrow in us and forgiveness in them. True repentance connects, connects us with our feelings and our hearts. We must feel it to heal it. I can see how I hurt you, and I'm so sorry. It feels terrible to see you suffering because of me. I'm disappointed in myself and sad for you. I hate the pain that my distraction and insensitivity has caused you. I'm sorry I let you down. Second, in name it and claim it. Name the action or event and the pain that it caused. Be specific. A good apology is a specific apology, not if I hurt you, I'm sorry. No, take responsibility even if you think you've been misunderstood. Responsibility is not the same as blame. You can only help solve a problem if you own it, if you take responsibility. In my practice, I may work with a woman who has been abused by an uncle or a grandfather. As an uncle or a grandfather myself, I can apologize and tell her that what was done was wrong. It was not her fault. And I can, I can show that I care about how it affected her. I can say, I'm sorry you were violated. As a man, I can take responsibility for what another man has done, even if it was not my fault. This is exactly what Jesus does for all of us. Becoming a man, he takes responsibility for what all men have done. And let's face it, if you dance with someone, you're going to step on each other's toes. You don't have to figure out whose fault it is, but if your foot ends up on, on top, say you're sorry. If your partner says, ouch, own it. Now, it's okay here to offer some explanation after saying sorry, but you must name it and claim it. When we visit with my family, you feel uncomfortable. You feel like an outsider and it hurts. I was a real grouch this morning. I hope you know I didn't sleep well and I'm really stressed by our finances. I shouldn't have taken out on you. You were upset that I shared personal information with our friends last night. 
I hope you know I genuinely wanted their perspective. You're angry because I made an ugly comment about your family. I honestly don't remember it that way. But if I said anything remotely like that, I'm truly sorry. Third, O is for offer. Offer yourself and your services. Offer to do what is needed to make it right. We do well to make amends and take actions that show how serious we are. Restitution is sometimes needed. Sometimes a gift or a card will help. Be creative. Take the attitude of a servant and be willing to pay to play. What can I do to show you how badly I feel? Is there anything I can do to make it better? Anytime you're struggling with this, please let me know. I care. I'm with you in this. I'm happy to say I'm sorry as many times as you need to hear it. Next, number four, are reset the bar. Describe how your behavior will be different moving forward. Set your intention and say it. Part of repentance is turning away from sin to something better. If we fall down, we get up, confess it, and commit to change and doing better. Whatever the offense, we must end it to mend it. That's not who I want to be. Now that I know, I won't make that mistake again. With God's help, I'll do better. Please speak up or get my attention if I do anything like this in the future. Let's talk about how we can keep this from happening again. Please pray for me. I want to change. Finally, E is for entreat. Entreat just means to, to ask for something earnestly. So earnestly ask. Ask forgiveness. Make a humble and sincere request with no pressure. Put yourself at their mercy. And begging is okay. You might even want to get on your knees to demonstrate how you feel. Show them with your face, your voice, and your body how much you want restored relationship. We can learn to make an earnest plea to be free. Please accept my apology. I want and need your forgiveness. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm asking for grace. Will you please forgive me? Not every apology needs all five. The first, say sorry, and the last, earnestly ask forgiveness, are vital. But depending on the trespass and the person, you may need all five. We all need forgiveness, and reconnecting is sweet. Amazingly, I've worked with countless couples who tell me that the growth they experienced spiritually and emotionally after working through a betrayal led them to a place of intimacy they never thought possible. They agree they're better, be they're, they're better after than they were before. But of course, both have to be willing, and it's work sometimes very hard work. Because even if we say yes to forgiveness, it may be only the first step in a long journey. I learned this early in my marriage. Terry, my wife, and I met when we were 16 at church. There was an immediate attraction, but I was a really late bloomer. When I started med school in 1977, I realized how much I loved Terry and wanted to be with her. I called and invited her to move to Galveston, where I was, so that we could uh, move toward marriage. But I was immature, and after a time, I got 
cold feet. I still loved her and imagined us eventually married, but I just wasn't ready. Somehow, I reasoned that it was wrong to string her along, so I told her it was over, that we would never marry. And, please, ladies, don't throw things, I broke up with her at Denny's. Now I know just how terrible that was. Needless to say, Terry was devastated. She dropped out of school and moved back north. After a time, we restored communication, but we did not date. Finally, five years after the breakup, I asked her to marry me. And even though it was out of the blue from her point of view, she did say yes, and we married soon after. You can imagine my confusion when even after we were married, the pain of that breakup would surface at apparently random times. (laughs) Everything in me wanted to protest. That was a long time ago. Everything is better now. I said I was sorry. We are married. And I knew she had forgiven me. Why was this happening? Thankfully, I took it to God. He helped me see that feelings are not always rational and that her sharing with them with me was not to punish or shame me. It was a matter of working through the pain. Our good relationship made it safe for her to feel not only the grief I caused in the breakup, but also to work through and release some old pain and rejection, abandonment from her childhood and from her parents' divorce. Grieving takes time, and we need help getting through it. God showed me that each wave of grief was an opportunity to share in her suffering, but I could only hold steady if I reminded myself it was not about me. I needed to focus on her and her pain. Of course, I would acknowledge again how stupid I had been, um, but I focused on what my actions had cost us in the relationship in terms of lost time and how she, uh, how sad I was about the ways she had suffered. We both knew I hadn't done it maliciously, but there was real trauma that needed real healing. Romans 12 tells us that we should weep with those who weep. As a man, I just wanted, I just wanted to fix it and be done with it. Um, But God showed me how to sit with her in the sadness and trust him to make it better. And he did, over time. Later, Terry told me that each time I joined her in those waves of grief, it was like peeling back a layer of an onion. Finally, over time, and gratefully, the pain from that memory was gone. It was still a part of our history, but grief was gone. And amazingly, we could eat at Denny's again. (laughs) But I have to tell you, I know there's a God because the Denny's in Galveston where that fateful event occurred burned to the ground and was never rebuilt. (laughs) Next month, Terry and I will celebrate 38 years of marriage. God is good. So forgiveness is precious and Forgiveness is a process. Decisional forgiveness is not the same as emotional forgiveness. Deciding to forgive does not guarantee I will always feel forgiving toward the other person. 
any more than deciding to be faithful guarantees I will always feel like being faithful to God or my mate. But with God's help, over time, unforgiving feelings will likely dissipate and be replaced with compassion and warmth. But feelings do not obey on command. We need God to soften our hearts. We just need to be willing. Now, particularly when an issue is ongoing, like an alienation, an affair, rejection, or addiction, we may have to daily choose forgiveness over resentment and depression. Sometimes God will give us the gift of emotional detachment so that the pain lessens and we let the other person be God's concern. We let go and let God. No doubt the father of the prodigal son worked through grief while his son was gone. He must have had feelings of rejection, sadness, and anger because his son cared more about his inheritance than he cared about being with his dad. The father faced the fact that he might never see his son again. Yet by grieving well and casting his cares on God, he made room for hope. Hope and peace can replace the pain and make room in our hearts for reconciliation. Having forgiven and received comfort for God, the father could be jubilant when that boy came back. In a real way, forgiveness is a gift that God our Father gives us. He bought it for us, and it cost him. Rather than pour his anger on all of humanity, he sent his only begotten son, his beloved son, to be one of us so Jesus could take the punishment we deserved. In sending Jesus, God paid personally for all the debts we sinners owed. He knew we were broke and broken. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now, when we follow God in forgiveness, it costs us too. We have to give up our right for revenge. And this is tough because human nature is to retaliate. The easiest way to get someone else to feel your pain is to launch it back at them. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Forgiveness says something very different. It says the pain stops here. My pain will be enough. I choose not to make you suffer for what you did. Forgiveness means letting go of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth kind of justice. It's offering mercy instead, even when it's not deserved. Forgiving blesses others, but we do it for God and for ourselves. For forgiveness frees us. It allows us to move on. We can't change the past but we don't have to remain tethered to it by an emotional connection to the one who hurt us. Forgiveness cuts the cord that can pull us back into the past. If we don't work through and release the offenses and the offender, they continue to rob us of joy and peace. They can undermine our confidence and destroy possibilities for growth and serving. But you say, what if somebody deliberately hurt me? What if it was truly evil? It's tough. But think about Joseph. His own brothers plotted to kill him and were only stopped when the oldest foiled their plan. Instead, they just sold him into slavery and made his father believe he was dead. As a slave, Joseph served well. But then he was falsely accused by his master's wife and 
thrown into prison. Even at that time, though, Joseph did not play the victim. He always let God have the final word. And by God's intervention, Joseph eventually found himself second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God empowered him to deliver Egypt and the surrounding countries from the ravages of famine. Later, even his brothers and his father found refuge through Joseph's kindness. In light of this, the brothers who had betrayed him repented of their sin. Um, They repented of trying to kill him and sell him as a slave. But after their father died, they started to worry. Listen to what Genesis 50 says about uh, about what they did, what, what they said. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back all the wrongs we did to him? In fact, they were so afraid they sent someone else to talk to Joseph. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed against you in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now we don't really know why Joseph cried. Might have been partly because he was still grieving the loss of the father he loved and all the time lost in that relationship. He might have been releasing pent-up feelings and emotions from the painful past. But maybe he was mourning the fact that his brother still didn't really know his heart. Whatever the case, his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now that's step three in our effective apology. Offer yourself and your services. They had made him a slave. Now they were willing to be slaves themselves. But Joseph, having known God's mercy, he showed it to them. He understood that judgment and revenge belonged to God, not to us. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Notice that Joseph does not minimize their sin. He doesn't rationalize it or explain it away. And like Joseph, to forgive fully, we must reckon with the full weight of sin and its impact on us. Sin is destructive. And even a single careless comment can cut us deeply, damage our sense of value, and put us on a bad path. It's not okay to say, it wasn't that bad. It's not a big deal. They did the best they could. While it's easier to forgive a minimized version of the sin, it is not God's way. He never excuses sin. He wants wants us to feel it and deal with it so we can be completely free and whole. And we can remind ourselves, as Joseph did, that God uses all our experiences to make us useful servants. He places us right where he needs us if we are willing to be used. When we forgive fully, we let God use all of our lives, even our worst times, to make us more like Jesus. The old saying is, you can can be bitter or you can get better. Rudy Tomjanovich was an amazing player for the Houston Houston, Houston Rockets, the basketball team. He was a five-time NBA 
uh, all-star forward. But on December 9th, 1977, in a game with the Lakers, a skirmish broke out on the court. Rudy T. ran up to help end the, the fight, but Kermit Washington saw him coming, and assuming he was in fight mode, um, he, Washington delivered a life-threatening blow to Rudy's face, almost killing him and ending his career. Thankfully, Rudy T. recovered from his injuries. He was able to return to play, and then later coached the Houston Rockets to two back-to-back -back NBA championships. At one point, he was being interviewed about his career and his life, and asked whether or not he had been able to forgive Kermit Washington for that near-fatal punch. Rudy T. was quick to respond. Holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, he said, is like drinking poison and hoping the other guy dies. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Forgiveness gets the poison out. But there's another barrier to forgiveness. Sometimes we confuse forgiveness with trust and reconciliation. They're not the same. My fellow pastor, Shannon Thomas, who does a marvelous job heading up our prayer and care ministries, says it this way. If someone hits you on the head with a two-by-four, you can forgive them, but you may not want to stand near them in a lumberyard. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? When the Apostle Paul was abandoned by John Mark, um, as John Mark bailed on their missionary journey, Paul forgave him, but was not willing to travel with him after that. When we've been betrayed, forgiveness is needed, but not necessarily trust. Trust takes time to be established and must be gained. So what if we don't want to forgive? Uh, what if we just can't get ourselves there? That's when we need to just get the person out of our hearts by surrendering them to God. If they need judgment, God can give it to them in his time. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy about two offenses that he suffered, but he relates to the two very differently. Here's what he says. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, May the Lord repay him according to his works. You, you also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, Paul does not plead for mercy for Alexander. Instead, he comforts himself that God will deal with Alexander as he, God, sees fit. The second wrong suffered by Paul is different. At my first offense, Paul says, no one stood with me, but all forsook me may it not be charged against them. For these brothers and sisters, Paul asked God, like Jesus from the cross, to show mercy on those who hurt him. Sometimes we choose to ask God to forgive. Other times we let him choose what to do. Either way, he, God, has the final say. And while forgiving others is tough, sometimes the bigger challenge is forgiving self. When it comes to forgiving ourselves, we need to listen to, to God, because even when our hearts condemn us, He has provided for all our sin. Nothing takes Him by surprise. And when God calls us clean, we must accept it. If He has forgiven us, how can we fail to forgive ourselves? Sometimes we fail to forgive ourselves, though, because a part of us wants to see evil punished. 
we humans get a little surge of dopamine, the reward chemical, when someone gets what is coming to them. So if a criminal gets incarcerated or, or some heinous uh, murderer goes to, the, goes to uh, death row, we get a little surge, that little surge of pleasure. Part of us wants justice for others and ourselves more than we want mercy. At least we feel like we must suffer for a while before we deserve to feel good again. But God is not that way. He wants us to feel sad when we see what our sin cost others and him and respond with heartfelt confession and apology. But the enemy wants to turn us inward, to shame us and highlight our own consequences rather than see the impact of sin on others. The enemy wants us to be self-protective and defensive or self-loathing and self-destructive. My fellow pastor, Keith Melanson, is a great example of the problem and the power of forgiveness. Just watch. I love Keith Melanson. I get to work with such wonderful people here at Woodlands Church, and Keith and I serve together in restoration, our recovery ministry. And Keith is such a humble and gifted person. He's an amazing talent and so wonderfully supportive. Though he was the victim of rejection, abandonment, betrayal, Keith chose forgiveness. Like Joseph, Keith sees now how God has uniquely equipped him to make a difference for people like you and me. He has compassion on us when we struggle because he knows what struggle is like. But he also knows that God can bless us through it. Keith knows that we give from what we've gotten. We forgive because God has forgiven us. Jesus says it this way, freely received, freely give, Matthew 10, 8. Yes, receiving God's forgiveness is key. But there are times we may actually need to think about forgiving God. Seems strange? Think about it. <clears throat> we believe God is good and that he's all-powerful, but he doesn't always show up in the way we expect of a loving father. Let's face it, he doesn't always come through for any of us. And sometimes we're profoundly disappointed. My mother, who turns 90 this year and was with us in the service last night, struggled mightily after my older brother Rick committed suicide when he was 24 years old. Why hadn't Rick reached out for help? How could his, wi his wife, who knew his dark thoughts, just tell him to get it over with? Why hadn't his friends returned his calls? Couldn't God have intervened? How could a loving and powerful God allow such a thing to happen? She worked through forgiving my brother Rick, his estranged wife, his unresponsive friends, herself and the rest of our family because we hadn't seen the signs. But later, God helped her see she hadn't forgiven him. After wrestling with this re revelation, my mom reached out again to God saying, I forgive you for letting my son die. In the silence that followed, she heard the still, small voice of God, our Father. 
and I forgive you for letting my son die. Jesus' death changes everything. When we acknowledge its power and claim it for ourselves, we enter into grace and forgiveness. And grace is like a waterfall. It washes over us continually, constantly forgiving and cleansing us moment by moment. And it empowers us to forgive. The more sin that comes our way, the more grace is available. Now, we can deny grace when we excuse, minimize, defend, justify, or blame. And defensiveness always moves us out from under grace into judgment. We block grace and fail forgiveness when we cover up and deny. When we lie, we undermine intimacy and remove ourselves from grace. Strikingly, when a marriage vow is broken by infidelity, sometimes the hardest thing to forgive is the sense of betrayal resulting from lying, denial, and cover-up. We fail to forgive when we harden our hearts. If we've received God's forgiveness, we can only resent others when we exit grace and stand instead in judgment. And when we step out of the flow of grace by failing to give it, Jesus says we won't receive it. But forgiveness is ours for the asking, and we can step into the flow of grace at any moment. We are all the same. We all need the flow of forgiveness, and we need it more than we think we do. We need forgiveness when we do wrong. We need it more when we fail to do right. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by the grace that came through Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Just like in the game of sorry, our goal is to make it from start all the way around to home. But unlike the board game, once we get in the game of, of life with God, we are already home. There is, of course, a journey, a process of advancement and setback, and sometimes it feels like the deck is stacked against us. But it's not a competition. And in this life uh, of, of God, we have brothers and sisters to help us in the journey, to travel with us and to support us. No doubt we'll all need to say sorry to one another. For even in our best moments, we can hurt those that are close to us and vulnerable. Yet saying sorry, admitting wrongdoing, and releasing forgiveness get easier with humility and practice, and God will help us. So take a moment and look at where you are on the board. Maybe you've knocked someone off the path and injured the relationship. Saying sorry and asking forgiveness may be your best next move. Think for a moment. Does someone who needs your apology come to mind? Maybe you've suffered a setback from the action of others, and you need to go and be truthful about what they did and how it hurt you. Writing a letter can help clarify what needs to be said and how. Give yourself the gift of freedom that comes from telling the truth and give that person a chance to repent. Anyone come to mind? Maybe you've been carrying an offense for a long time, and it's time to release it. Do you need to stop living in judgment and let God be judge? Just as Keith did for his ex, 
We can ask God to bless those who have hurt us, or we can just let God have them. Let him be the one to repay as he sees fit. Does someone come to mind? Some of you probably need to get off the space where you've camped on and get back to the start of your relationship with Jesus. Back to that first love for God and start fresh, turning your heart again toward home. Well, I know some of you, though, have never really gotten in the game. You have to start if you want to make it home. You can start now by asking forgiveness from God. Tell him you're sorry for living life on your own terms, that you're ready to surrender to his lead. Because once we know our debts are forgiven, we can ask God to help us dwell in that generous, bountiful, overflowing waterfall of grace where God continuously forgives and cleanses us. Because when we live here, moment by moment, forgiving others is not even a question. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. We're sorry for how far we fall short of your glory and fail to show your goodness. Thank you that your love is bigger than our sin, that through the cross you let the pain of, your, of sin stop with you. Through Jesus' suffering, you absorb the consequences of our failures and you forgive. You free us from the law that says those who sin deserve to be punished and die. Because Jesus took what we deserve, we can claim what he deserved, your love and life forever with you. God, help us forgive as you do. Help us say sorry and ask forgiveness when we need it. Help us give it to others when they need it from us. Father, guard our hearts and bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.